Hello, everyone. I'm Jonathan Schuler, and welcome to the Fortress of Truth, where we look into the perfect law of liberty and continue therein by the grace of God. Jesus said, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Well, today we're going to continue talking about the goodness of God. We've been looking at Psalm 34, and we're going to look there again today. Psalm 34, and we're going to begin with verse 1. In this passage, the psalmist gives us an example of how to praise the Lord. You know, we talk about praising the Lord, and we should do that. But sometimes praising the Lord can be something of an abstract idea to a lot of Christians. Well, here he gives us an example of how to go about praising the Lord. He says, Psalm 34, verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. That's what it means to praise the Lord, according to the Bible. Praising the Lord, a way we could picture that, would be bragging on God, talking about His goodness, His faithfulness, how great, how awesome, how wonderful He is talking about it, singing about it, testifying about it to others. That is how we praise the Lord. And so he begins doing that in this passage. Verse 3, O oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Then here he starts in on bragging on the Lord. Verse 4, I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. If you seek the Lord with all of your heart, then you will find him, the scripture says. And no one who has ever looked to the Lord and trusted in him shall be made ashamed. He says, I sought the Lord and he heard me. You know, sometimes some people will say, they pray about something, they say, it doesn't feel like my prayer got any higher than the ceiling. Well, it's a good thing we pray by faith then. <laughs> the only way that God hears our prayer is if we pray in faith. If we pray in unbelief, not really sure if he's going to hear us, just kind of throwing something out there, well, like a scattershot prayer, you know, hopefully something will stick. It doesn't work that way. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 says, But without faith, it is impossible to please Him, talking about God. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. It goes on, For he that cometh to God must believe that He is and 
that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. If you don't have faith, if you don't trust God, if you're not believing in him, then there's no way that you can possibly please him. It is impossible to please God without faith. And then it goes on. If you're going to come to God, you must believe two things. You must believe that he is, which a lot of other versions will say that he exists. You know, you're not going to come to something that you don't believe exists. (laughs) So you got to believe that God exists, but you can't just stop there. You must also go a step further and believe that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, another way of saying that is in order to come to God, you must believe that he's good. You must believe that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. When you diligently seek after the Lord, when you are serious about pursuing him, you're genuinely desiring to follow after him, then he is going to manifest his goodness toward you in your life because he's a good God and he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him, who seriously seek him with their whole heart. Jeremiah 29, 13, God said through the prophet, and ye shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. So when we look for the Lord and look for his direction and follow after him and do what he wants us to do through his grace empowering us, then we will find him and we will experience his goodness in our life. Now let's go back to Psalm 34 and we're down to verse five now. He continues on along this same line. He says, they looked unto him and were lightened and their faces were not ashamed. When you look to the Lord, again, that's just another way of of saying that you're going to him for help, you're seeking after him, seeking his guidance and counsel. They looked to him and were lightened. Now we today might say enlightened. They received light. They received understanding. When did that happen? When they looked to the Lord. And the same thing happens for us today. When we look to him and seek after him, then he will cause us to understand and to know things about him, things through his word, and also he will direct our paths. Proverbs chapter three says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. When we look to the Lord, acknowledging him, acknowledging that he's present and that he's able and willing to help us, 
then he will direct our paths. He will show us the right way to go. You know, you, you're at the proverbial fork in the road. Well, Lord, do I go to the right or do I go to the left? Which way would you have me to go? Which decision would you have me to make? Would you have me to go here? Would you have me to stay? Would you have me to take this job? Or would you have me do something else? And don't limit God. Don't put God in a box. Sometimes it may seem like we only have two options. Well, which one are you going to choose? A or B? A or B? They tried to do that with Jesus. In John chapter 8, they brought to him a uh, woman that they caught in adultery. And they, they said, well, the law says stoner, but what do you say? They thought they had trapped Jesus. They thought they had caught him in between a rock and a hard place. And so consider this. If Jesus had been there and he had tried to reason it out in his head, he would have said, hmm, well, let's see. Stoner, don't stoner. Stoner, don't stoner. Well, if we, if we say stoner, then we're, we're st- sticking up for the word. We're sticklers for the word. But we'll come across as not being very compassionate. But on the other hand, if we say don't stoner, then the Pharisees are going to say, ah, ah, see, see, he can't be of God. He contradicts the law. He contradicts the written word. And so the Pharisees thought that they had him right where they wanted him. They were thinking to themselves, ha ha, we got him now. We got, we got this preacher now. He's not going to get out of this one. See, they had it on their mind. They were going to kill somebody that day. Either Jesus or the woman, preferably Jesus. But what did Jesus do? Did he get into his head and start reasoning and, and start thinking, let's see, A or B, A or B. These are the choices that we have here. Did he do that? No, he didn't. In fact, the Bible says that he didn't even answer them. Not right away. When they came to him, he didn't say a word. And they're presenting their their situation in front of him. And they say, come on. Is it going to be A or B? Do we stone her or or do we not? This is something else that we should learn. You don't have to answer every question that's brought to you. Jesus, instead of answering them right away, he just bent down and started writing on the ground. What was he doing? Well, he had already said in John chapter 5, multiple times in that chapter, that he only said what he heard the Father say. He only did what he saw the Father do. Personally, I believe that Jesus was checking with the Father. What should I say about this situation? What would you have me do? 
And you might say, well, how come he didn't answer right away? Well, he must not have gotten anything from the father right away. And so he just wrote on the, he just wrote on the ground. Now there's conjecture about what he wrote. And, and you got to be careful about going off on something that the scripture doesn't say. If the scripture doesn't give us a lot of information about it, then it's not really that important for us to know. He might have just been playing tic-tac-toe with himself. I don't know. Just maybe doodling in the, in the dust there, wherever he was, while he was waiting on the Lord. Now, see, he was cool under pressure. See, the Pharisees, and, it, and it's not just the Pharisees, it's the enemy working through the Pharisees are trying to put pressure on him. Come on, Jesus, come on. Do you, what, what are we gonna do? A or B, what's your pick? Come on, time's a ticking. What are we gonna do here? But Jesus didn't yield to their pressure. Instead, he checked in with the Father and waited on him and didn't move until the Father told him to. And then finally, Jesus straightened up and said, whichever among you is without sin, let him cast the first stone. I mean, you think about that scenario. That was the perfect thing to say. It, it, he didn't contradict the law. He didn't say, don't stone her. But he also exhibited the love of God by not saying, stoner. Now, how did he get that answer? He checked in with the Lord. He trusted in the Lord with all his heart and he acknowledged the Lord in that situation and the Lord directed his paths. The Father directed his paths and showed him exactly what he should say to completely diffuse the whole situation because it had the exact outcome that needed to happen. All the Pharisees dropped their rocks and backed away. See, neither of those options that they presented to Jesus was the right option. They were trying to make him pick between two wrong choices. And situations might present that same thing to you. They might bring two wrong choices to you and try and force you to pick one of those two. But what we need to do is learn to check in with the Lord and not move until He tells us to. and Not act until we have peace from Him about what we should do. Because sometimes the answer isn't A or B. The answer is Holy Ghost C. <laughs> so when we look to the Lord, we will receive enlightenment. And he goes on here. He says, they looked unto him and were lightened and their faces were not ashamed. When we trust in the Lord and expect, have our expectation up to see his goodness manifested in our lives, we're not going to be ashamed. The scripture says, no one who has put their trust in the Lord shall ever be made ashamed. Verse six, 
This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Now, how come the Lord saved this man out of all his troubles? Because the Lord is good. He wants to lift us out of the trouble that we might have found ourselves in. And it may have been our own stupid fault that we got into that mess. But when we go to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm messed up here. I made wrong choices. I disobeyed your word. I'm sorry, I got myself into this mess. But I'm looking to you now, Lord. Please help me out of this situation. Show me what I need to see and I'll correct whatever I need to correct. And I'll follow you. I'll follow your direction. And when we do this, Romans 10 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved from what? Whatever problem the enemy may be trying to put on you. When you call out to the Lord and seek him with your whole heart, then he will show up and manifest his goodness in your life. And you will be saved out of whatever situation you're in. Whether it's a trap of sin, whether it's lack, whether it's sickness, you call on the Lord and he will save you out of that negative situation. Why? Because he's good. Call on his goodness and expect to see his goodness manifested in your life and you will see it. Glory to God. Verse seven. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. When we honor the Lord, that's what it means to fear the Lord. When we honor the Lord and respect him, then he will deliver us. Verse eight. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Now, previously, I've shared with you the example of my mama's homemade cherry pie and how it is so good. And I have tasted and I have seen that her pie is good. And I could describe it to you in great detail, but my description will only get you so far. Eventually, you're going to want to taste and see for yourself. You're going to want to experience the goodness of my mama's cherry pie for yourself. And that's what the Lord's inviting us to do here. He is inviting us to experience his goodness for ourselves, not relying on someone else's opinions or someone else's experience, but experiencing the goodness of God in our own life personally. Now let's go over to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. In this chapter, Jesus is talking about, he's, he's giving the example of a shepherd. And he's 
talking about how he is the good shepherd. He says it multiple times in this chapter, I am the good shepherd. And he's talking about how a good shepherd will take good care of his sheep. And because the Lord is our good shepherd and we are the sheep of his pasture, then he will take good care of us. Let's look here in John chapter 10 and verse 9. Now these are red letters. Jesus is speaking here. He says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. If we're in Christ, no matter where we're going, when we're following after him, we will rest in green pastures. We will find abundance that God has provided for us. Verse 10, the thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Now there's so much here in this verse, but I want to point out the distinction that Jesus makes between the thief and himself. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That is the enemy's sole mission, is to steal from you, to kill you, and to kill things in your life, and to destroy. Those are the things that he seeks to accomplish. So, if something is stealing, if something is killing, if something is destroying, well, we don't have to look very far. We know who's behind it. And I'll give you a clue. It's not God. <laughs> I know insurance companies, they, they talk about natural disasters and they refer to them as acts of God. But if some, like I said, if something is stealing, killing, or destroying, it's not from God. That's what Jesus says here. Jesus said that if something is stealing, killing, or destroying, it is from the thief. It's from the enemy. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Let me read this to you out of the Amplified Bible. I like the way it phrases this here. It says, The thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. The Lord doesn't, wanna, doesn't just want us to have life. Jesus came so that we could have and enjoy life right here on the earth. Not just survive, but thrive. Let me read to you what Jesus said in John chapter 5 and verse 24. 
He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Now, this can kind of get a little lost on us because of the King James phrasing, but notice what Jesus said. He that hears my word and believes on him that sent me, that would be the Father, hath everlasting life. H-A-T-H, hath. That's King James. We would say has today, H-A-S, has. If we hear the word of God and if we believe on God, and believe in God, trust Him, then we have everlasting life right now. That's what Jesus is saying. We have everlasting life. We shall not come into condemnation, but we are passed from death unto life right now if we are in Christ, if we have believed on Him and we hear His word. We have this everlasting life right now, and we can enjoy life to the full right here on the earth. As we close out today, let me read you what it says in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1 and verse 12. It says, Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. When we're in Christ, we've been made the righteousness of God in Him. And that has made us fitting and proper to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints. You know, someone might say, well, I'm no saint well, then you're an ain't. <laughs> either, either you're in Christ or you're not. And if you're in Christ, you are a partaker of the inheritance of the saints. Verse 13, still talking about the Father, it says, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of of his dear son. God has delivered us from the power of darkness. The enemy has no more authority over us. If you see him working in your life and you're in Christ, you just, like John Osteen used to say, just stand up on your hind legs and you say, oh no, you don't. Oh no, you don't. I'm delivered from your power. You don't have any authority over me and you can't operate in my life. And then he says, not only have we been delivered from the power of darkness, we have been translated. We have been picked up out of the kingdom of darkness and put into, made a citizen of the kingdom of God. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Well, I hope you enjoyed this podcast today. And if you did, make sure and hit the subscribe button on your platform there so that you never miss an episode of The Fortress of Truth. 
And I encourage you to share this podcast. Tell it to your friends and family. Let other people know about it. And be sure and join us again next time when we continue talking about the goodness of God. We'll see you next time on the Fortress of Truth.